Welcome to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. In this program, we take a fresh look at some of today's challenges from the economy, education, politics, security, defense, and much more. You'll be prompted to see and think about things just a bit differently. Now, here are your hosts, Ambassador Harry Thomas and Chief Alex Morales. Welcome to The Spotlight with the Ambassador, Harry Thomas, retired, and... Alex Morales, the Chief. Thank you. Our guest this week is Press Lacer Edwards-Williams, author, actress, mom, mismatched socks, wearer, cook, and... Since my wife is from the Philippines, I am surprised. I'm pleased to have a fellow Pinai with us. So, welcome, Preslesa. Thank you for having me, Harry and Alex. Thank you for taking the time. We appreciate Preslesa. Congratulations on your latest book, A Low Country Bride. And thanks for sharing it with us. As I said, I'm one third way through it and it gets better with each page. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. So, why do you wear mismatched socks? <laughs> well, I'm um, in addition to writing and acting, I'm also a mother of two children, two school age children. Um, I homeschool my children, and days get very hectic around here. And so sometimes it's just too much to try to find those matching pair of socks. So, I just grab the two that are there and that are clean. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. But, okay, that's kind of unique, but uh, practical, I guess. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well, Pris Lesa, to our audience, please tell us about yourself, your childhood, and your parents, please. Okay, so um, I, like um, Harry had mentioned in the introduction, my father is African-American. My mother is Filipino. I actually grew up in New Brunswick, New Jersey, in the urban area, the urban side of, of the city. And I went to, and there was a Catholic church across the street from where I lived. And the nuns were very kind and charitable towards my parents. And then I, so I ended up attending Catholic school and I went to the Catholic school until the age of 17. And around the age of eight, I um, got started in acting work, and I went on a slew of auditions. Maybe from the from my age of age eight to sixteen was just filled with auditions and taking the train to New York City to to audition for commercials, TV shows, films, plays, off Broadway, Broadway. And that was my life. It was school and auditioning. Um, and so, yeah, and I did book a couple of uh, gigs, acting gigs uh, during that time in my life. I was a co-star on Nickelodeon's The Mystery Files of Shelby Woo. And um, I also appeared in some off-Broadway plays, um, some television commercials, And in, in between all of that, my parents were business owners and they had a jewelry shop. And so I would help out with them in the jewelry shop sometimes. So I kind of learned how to work the register and give change and calculate sales tax and all that. So that's my, my childhood in a nutshell. Have you traveled to the Philippines? What's your favorite Filipino food? Oh, yes, I have traveled to the Philippines. 
I traveled maybe about four or five times in my lifetime. Uh, my family, my Filipino side of my family, they live in Baez City, which is near Dumaguete. It's in mm-hmm. the Visayas. Visayas? Yeah, Visayas. Mm-hmm. So that's where uh, most of my family uh, lives in the Philippines. On my Filipino side, I do have some Filipino family in New York City and Florida as well. Uh, my favorite Filipino foods. Oh, this is a good question. Chicken adobo, lumpia, pancit, and daing, which is like a dried fish. Mm-hmm. Know them all. Well, that's great. I, Alex, I had to go to Dumaguete on a sad mission to bury a Filipino-American soldier, female. Okay. Uh, wow. But uh, it's a, one of our cultural areas. Well, that is fantastic. So you are true Filipina. My wife will be impressed. <laughs> <laughs> so you speak Tagalog? No, that's oh. not right. So I don't speak Tagalog. So my mother was very intent on me just speaking English and learning okay. English and being really good at um, the English language. And I think that's with you, if you notice, like a lot of second generation Correct. children, their parents want that in America, they want their children to be more Americanized, to fit in and not to stand out in any way that would what would make them feel uncomfortable or anything. So, So my mother never taught me um, Tagalog or Cebuano, which is the dialect. Um, but I do oh, wow. want to learn. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Harry speaks Tagalog, so he, you know, oh. he could throw you uh, a couple of Tagalog words out there. Yeah, right, I know. Salamat. <laughs> well, you know, you know more than, more than you think. <laughs> so that is great. Well, look, do you have a favorite Filipino author? No, I do. I, I do. I definitely do. Um, one of them, and I talk about her all the time. Her name is Tiff Marcello. Her mm-hmm. first name is Tiff, T-I-F, Marcello, M-A-R-C-E-L-O. She's a wonderful contemporary romance and women's fiction author. She writes the same types of books that I do, mm-hmm. um, lighthearted, hopeful romances, um, and stories about family, friendships. Um, and my another favorite writer of mine is Luisa Igloria. She is a poet, and she's the current poet laureate of Virginia. Mm. And she has a really interesting story with her writing because she's written a poem every day since I believe November two thousand ten. Oh wow! Yeah. So, and she's also um, the uh, in the I believe she's in the creative writing faculty at Old Dominion University too. Yes. And she's, yeah, and she's the Poet Laureate of Virginia. Wow, I've learned two new authors. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Please uh, explain Blasian and your cultural identity <laughs> to our audience. Okay, so Blasian means uh, basically it's Black and Asian, so you put the two together. Oh, okay. Yeah, someone read an early copy of um, A Low Country Bride before, before it was even published. Um, and they saw the word in the book and they're like, I never saw that word before. What is that? That's interesting. So then I explained it. So I, I'm, I'm aware that not many people know, have, know about the book, know about that word, but maybe they will fit now that the book's going to be published. <laughs> but um, yes, Blasian is black and Asian. And that's me. I'm black and Asian, more specifically Filipino, which is in Southeast Asia. That's my cultural identity. Oh, Wow. 
Alex, I belong to a Blasian Facebook group. That's all kinds of Yes. And there's a subtle, subtle, subtle Filipino things Facebook group that I belong to also. Um, so how do you navigate among the cultures, though? Mm-hmm. Um, well, for me, it isn't that tough to navigate among the cultures because to me, they're already in me. That's part of just who I am. Um, so I identify with both my African-American heritage and my Filipino heritage. And it's not that much. It's not that difficult for me to to navigate between them. Um, they're just both part of who I am, and what I grew up with. But other people may not see it that way because of the way I look phenotypically or physically. Um, some people may automatically think that I'm only African-American just by looking at me. But there are many brown skinned Asian people in the world. India, for instance, there's many um, indigenous Filipino people who are brown skin, um, kinky hair and look just like me. And they are not African-American and Filipino. They are full Filipino. Um, so and also many Pacific Islanders like in Samoa. So so that there is a great diversity in in Asia and in the Pacific Islands and navigating between the two cultures isn't isn't that difficult for me. It's just the thing that becomes difficult for me or was part of my journey with writing is I had to learn how to accept both of them and infuse them both into my into my writing. Um, and that's what you see in a low country bride um, to to accept, especially the Filipino side, because it's not really that because people automatically think I'm African-American, it, it can be tougher to, to, to accept or to, to mesh with the Filipino side of me. So, and I, so, so a low country bride was my, my growth in that area. It's, it's very interesting that you just mentioned something that it came to my mind because you, you highlighted that, you know, that there's uh, brown Filipinos in Asian Pacific and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and it's kind of like you're saying they're Filipino, they're not brown Asian Pacific, and yeah. I, I think I I relate to that because uh, being a Caribbean guy, Puerto Rican, mm-hmm. uh, they have white Puerto Ricans, uh, yeah. light skinned Puerto Rican, or very black Puerto Rican, but we don't define they're Puerto Ricans. So yeah. uh, it's kind of unique, like what you just said. It's, yeah, you know. Well, you you appear to be active in the AAPI movement. How you have reacted to the anti-hate crime and myth has surfing in America? It's really tough to see that rise in anti-Asian hate crimes in the United States. Um, and it's hard, it's hard for me to, to really process or even to verbalize like how I feel about it. It's just a mixture of anger, um, upset, hurt, especially that compounded with like the killings of, for example, like George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. So it's like I'm seeing and witnessing two, two, um, violence on two marginalized groups of people or historically marginalized groups of people. So it's, it's pretty hard for me to, to take in. I use my writing a lot to, as a means to, to speak out on it. Um, my writings in many ways deal with topics that, that are my free space and artistic space where I can go into this fictional world and explore these things and feelings um, for myself first as a writer and then hopefully maybe readers 
will get some type of illumination or takeaway from it as well. Yeah, it is very unique. I was talking to Harry about that, like, think of the last week, and we were talking about, I was like, how can, you know, the same margin of people want to commit hate crimes to other minorities? Yeah. For me, it is baffled me that they don't self-identify with that other sector, even though they're different. And mm-hmm. I, I always question myself, like, why you you're complaining but you're doing kind of like the same thing and, and it's like it's incredible yeah asian women are often termed exotic dragon lady uh and other derogatory terms really sexualized and dehumanized mm-hmm. you have how how can we stop these stereotypes i think um the best way to end stereotyping, and I don't know if we can completely and eradicate all stereotyping prejudices, uh, especially ethnic um, prejudices. I don't think that we could totally completely eradicate it. But the way that I can deal with it in my in my sphere of influence it, influence is by writing and speaking narratives and stories that overturn these types of myths. For example, like in a Low Country Bride. Um, the heroine Maya is black and Asian, and there aren't that many stories that feature main characters that are black and Asian, because mostly, t- most of the time when we think of Asian, we think of East Asia, um, Japan, Korea, um, China. We don't think of the full spectrum of the, of the continent or the, the, the region over there. Um, and although I write romance and women's fiction, like I said, um, I meant I do confront themes of race and identity in my stories. And so by doing that through those themes, I can rewrite those stereotypes in the fictional worlds that I create. And with the fictional world, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to The Spotlight. 
And we're back with the spotlight uh, here with Pre-Lisa Pre Williams. And uh, we were talking about her experience and stereotyping, but uh, how did you become interested in acting? What it was your experience? Can you share it with our listener about mystery file of Shelby Woo at Nickelodeon? Oh, wow. Okay. So this, this will be. Oh, a, how did you get there? That's yes, uh, how did I get there? Oh, wow. Okay. So um, this may be a little mini story. No, no, please. Be a little lengthy. <laughs> I uh, first became interested in acting at a very young age. Uh, when I was eight years old, I remember I was uh, sitting in the living room of our apartment in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and I was watching an Elizabeth Taylor film on, on television. The film was called National Velvet. Um, she was a young girl in that film. And I saw her there, and she just looked so beautiful with her dark hair and her blue eyes on the screen. And I said to myself, I want to do that one day. I want to act. I want to be on TV or on a movie, movie in the movies. And so... Um, after I finished watching the film, I don't know how shortly thereafter, I, I got a newspaper. I looked in the classified ads for talent agents. I called one up that was based in New Jersey, and I set up an appointment with them. And then I told my parents after the fact. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is and thankfully, my father took me to see that talent agent in New Jersey. The talent agent interviewed me. And so that was like my first job interview. Um, my dad was sitting next to me at the time and then they signed me. Um, my parents signed the talent agreement and I went on out on my first audition and I booked it. Oh. It a television commercial. So I was really, really um, enthusiastic about that. So so that's my that's how I got started in acting. It was my decision and my initiative that started it all. Um, and Since that first audition, I went on probably over 400 auditions, like I said, between the ages of like eight and 16. I have records of every single audition that I've done, every single job that I booked in that time period. And then I eventually was, um, I, I landed a role on an off-Broadway show called The Onlyest One Who Can't Go Nowhere that was directed by Woody King Jr. And while we were in rehearsals for that film or for that play, Woody said to me, he said, um, you know, you're, you're going to be on TV one day. You have, the, you have a great personality for television, a presence for television. I said, okay. I was like 12 or 13 at the time. And while we were performing or while we were doing the live shows, Um, there was a casting director in the audience from Nickelodeon and they figured out who my agent was. And then they contacted my agent and called me in for to audition for different Nickelodeon shows. I would get a lot of callbacks for one show and then I would almost get the role, but I never got it. And then they would call me in for another one. And they're like, oh, it's just it's just a matter of us trying to find where to place you. But well, we really like you, but we're just trying to figure out where to place you. So they call me in for this. And then I went on auditions for millions or felt like millions of Nickelodeon TV shows. And then I um, then it was called the Mystery Files of Shelby Wink before it became the Mystery Files of Shelby Woo when it was in pilot season. And uh, they called me in for that. And then um, I got a couple of callbacks. And then they said 
at the very end, it was between me and another girl and they gave the role to another girl and I didn't get the role. So I was disappointed, but me and her were friends um, because we were always going on auditions with each other. So it was never like a competition or anything. Um, Me and her were friends. We knew each other uh, through auditions and all that. So, but I was disappointed in not getting the role, but they went and did the pilot and they filmed the pilot in Orlando, Florida. And then after they filmed the pilot, then the producers changed their minds. And then they called my agent up and said, we want her Preslesa to be in the role. So after they filmed the pilot, then they changed their minds and wanted her to be in the role. So then that's how I booked the show. Wow. I, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't get this courage, you know, with all the no's and everything. How, can you talk a little bit about what took for you not to get this courage and continue mm-hmm. trying? Um, I think part of it was um, my faith. Um, I think that my, my faith was instilled in me at a young age. Like I said, I went to a Catholic school all my life. But I, but I also had a personal sense of faith that that kind of kept me going um, during those ups and downs. And also, I just really loved acting. I loved it. It was a passion of mine. Um, and I always had a dream that one day, I remember when I was nine years old, I set a goal for myself that I wanted to be on television by the time I was like 14 or 15. And so... I always kept that goal in my mind that one day I'm going to book one of these things. And one day I'm going to be on television and people are going to see me on TV. And so I just kept that in my mind for five years as I was going on all these auditions. I kind of kept that end goal in mind um, during, during the process. And so I think those three things, three things helped me. And I was actually on my, when I turned 14, that I got the call from Nickelodeon that they wanted to, to cast me in the series. But yes, it would be my faith, the, my passion for acting, and that I kept that goal. That's amazing. Yeah, that's what my daughter loves uh, singing and uh, acting. So she's done, <laughs> you know, schools and everything. Yeah. And now she's a freshman and I've been telling her to like, try it. You don't have nothing to lose now. And she's like trying to figure out if she want to try it or not. But that's what she likes. And I'm mm-hmm. like, so it's amazing, you know, that. Yeah, I always say, you know, you only live once. And yet, so, you know, you only get one life to live. So you should go for the things that you love. And she's good. I mean, I, I mean, every parent thinks their kids are good, but I, I think she's okay. And, yeah. But I don't know why she don't try. <laughs> Maybe she's scared. <laughs> Preslesa, why did you pick Columbia? Where did you live on campus? Oh, my goodness. So my my reasons for picking Columbia University aren't very lofty and great. It was because my best friend at the time was also got accepted into Columbia and I wanted us to stick together. Mm-hmm. So I, I applied and then I got accepted. And so that's how we ended up. I ended up going to Columbia. <laughs> um, and also, I wanted to be in New York for auditions, too. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go too far away from that area. I wanted to still go there for auditions, but the main reason was because my best friend was there. Um, but unfortunately, we grew apart during our college years. And so after after our friendship kind of fizzled off, I had to find my own way. 
at Columbia University. So I said, okay, I came here because I wanted to be with my friend, but now we're not friends anymore. So I guess I have to find my own crowd and find out who I am. So my experience at Columbia was, was really a process of me kind of finding my identity during that time. I was 18, 19. Like I said, I was, you know, in a new big city, <coughs> new friends. And so I had to really find, find myself. At the time, that's when my parents got divorced. They got divorced when I was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of hard going to college and then seeing, you know, dealing with my parents' divorce mm-hmm. and then the, the breakup of the friendship. And so I had to sort through all of that as I was going through my years at Columbia. But um, one thing that I did, or not just one thing, a couple of things that my, my, the positives, the things that helped me at Columbia was the academics. Mm. Um, it wasn't um, as rigid as, as going to Catholic school where you'd be you had to know the right answers and, you know, you get graded. It was more like I would go to the classes that I went to were more like conversations and we would throw out ideas and we would challenge each other on our ideas. So like, for example, um, in one of the called literature humanities and we would read the great books and then we come to the class and we sit at a round table and we're all from different backgrounds, you know, different religious backgrounds gender backgrounds, um, political backgrounds, racial and ethnic backgrounds, economics privileges and and lack thereof. And we would all come there and we would wrestle with these ideas together. And it was great. I think that that was one of the great experiences that I that I remember and that I probably had in my life to have that just to be around different stratas of society talking about great ideas together. Well, I was head RA in John Jay and RA in Wallach, you know? Oh, wow. <laughs> roar, lion, roar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was in Carmen Hall in freshman year. Yeah, freshman, freshman living Carmen. Yeah. I was in Carmen Hall in freshman year. I can't remember where I was in sophomore year. Maybe. Did you, ever, did you ever find the owl in Alma Mater? No. Oh. <laughs> 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 well, we'll move, we'll move on, Alex. <laughs> well, it is our understanding that you're still uh, you're, you're studying at Seton Hall while teaching, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Seton motiva- Hill, Seton Hill. Oh, Seton Hill. Yes. Sorry. No, you're while fine. <laughs> and what motivates a successful author like you to seek another degree, though? Hmm. Okay, so. I think that like as an artist, it's nice to have success. It's wonderful to have success as an artist, but I didn't start writing to be like rich and famous because that doesn't happen for like the majority of writers and the majority of actors. I came to writing because I first loved it. And so I'm always growing in my craft and I I never want to stop learning. Um, writing is like a muscle, and if you don't exercise it, it will wane. It will it will atrophy. Just mm-hmm. you know, so no matter how successful you are, if you're not exercising your writing muscle, then it's not going to. You're not gonna. You're not gonna get to the next level or write the next book or the next article or essay or or things like that. So so for me, I I decided to go to Seton Hill to get a um, master's in fine arts because. 
Um, I wanted to grow as a writer and hone my craft. And also I was at a crossroads in my life as a writer. Um, I was really trying to figure out what type of stories I wanted to tell. Um, and I wasn't certain what that would be. And I wanted to be in an academic environment of, of writers where I could explore different types of writing styles and different ways of telling stories. And so that, that was the other main reason why I chose to get a master's in fine arts at Seton Hill. Oh, wow. You're working with the Jackie Robinson Foundation. Tell us about that, please. All right. So I am a Jackie Robinson <laughs> scholar. Um, the Jackie Robinson Foundation is a um, nonprofit organization, a philanthropic organization that offers scholarships to um, students, high school students of color so that they can attend college. And I remember when I was planning to go to Columbia, my parents didn't have a whole lot of money and, and it was, you know, cost a lot to go there. So I remember going into a Borders bookstore, I think it's Borders or Barnes and Noble. And I was looking in the scholarship section for, uh, for, um, for scholarships or for, I was looking at a scholarship book for scholarships and I saw that Jackie Robinson was listed there and I saw that they'll pay $5,000 a year for your four years hmm. and it's highly competitive, but you can apply. And so I wrote down the information and I sent in or I got an application and I sent it in. And I got the scholarship, which was very surprising. And then later on, I uh, so they helped me go to Columbia. So I am indebted to Jackie Robinson and the Jackie Robinson Foundation for going to Columbia. I met Rachel Robinson once, and that was a wonderful experience. Um, some of the people on the board at the Jackie Robinson Foundation <laughs> have been a, a great, great mentors to me, especially as I went into publishing. Um, they gave me great advice, um, steered me in the right direction when I was hitting crossroads in my writing career. So, so the Jackie Robinson Foundation has not only helped me in my undergraduate years, but even as an adult, when I hit career, when I stalled out in my career in many ways, they were there. They're like a family. Well, I have two Jackie Robinson posters in this office. I was wearing a Jackie Robinson t-shirt this morning. Okay. <laughs> He is a serious uh, hero of, of, of mine. Mm -hmm. And Alex may not know his son, David, lives in Tanzania and makes coffee. Uh, wow. <laughs> Look at that. But uh, we are going to move to our next question. Mm -hmm. I'm going to paraphrase you. Your story celebrate modern day black and Filipino people who are in search of love and they're happily ever after. You write about people who suffered seasons of loss and found restoration, new strength and a healing of their broken hearts. So what led you to choose these themes, Preslesa? Um, just living, living the themes. Mm -hmm. The themes chose me. Uh, <laughs> okay. The themes chose me. I, I, have, I have suffered seasons of loss in my life. I've had lots of failures and disappointments. Um, even as a child, you know, going on all those auditions and getting those rejections as an adult writer, um, getting all those rejections as an author and, and an aspiring writer, um, career upsets. Um, there was seasons of loss um, with regards to even loss of life. 
Um, for example, uh, there was in my community here, a mass shooting about two years ago. Mm. And my spouse was acquainted with many of the victims mm. of that mass shooting. And, and like I said, I use writing and as, as a, as a way to process hurts and disappointments. So I create these fictional stories with fictional characters and I um, explore the things that I'm questioning in myself and the things that I'm dealing with and those types of heartaches and losses. So, and, and because I write romance, one of the things with the romance genre is a happily ever after. So we often don't see happily ever afters in real life, but I can take all of that disappointment, hurt, loss, heartache, and I can put it in the fictional story in this fictional world and then create a happily ever after out of it. So it's like I'm, I'm taking some broken things and renewing them and restoring them and healing them through my writing. So did you know Rex is Rex and Louise? Are they real people? No, they are fictional <laughs> people. They are fictional. All of my people. <laughs> and with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to the spotlight. And we're back in the spotlight in Press Lisa Williams. Uh, Press Lisa, that was an incredible segment at the previous <laughs> one. And uh, please tell us about Low Country Bride. All right. So A Low Country Bride is a story about an Afro-Filipina bridal gown designer who um, returns to her hometown of Charleston, South Carolina after her father sprains his hip. And um, while she's down there, she 
uh, ends up working at a, a Black-owned bridal boutique in uh, downtown Charleston. And it's owned by a man named Derek, who is the hero of the story. And while she's working there, she comes into her own as far as becoming comfortable with her design aesthetic. And she also falls in love along the way. Um, I live in, oh, I lived in South Carolina for about two years when my husband was stationed in Charleston. He was in the Navy and we attended an African Methodist Episcopal church there. And I just fell in love with the church community and the city as well. And so I'm a romance and women's fiction writer. And so when I set out to write, I noticed that many of the romance novels that are set in the low country do not have black and brown main characters. And so this is peculiar to me since the population of South Carolina today is about 30% black. So, and in addition to that, Charleston has a really rich and complicated history with regards to African people of African descent. Um, you may, you probably already know that the port of Charleston was the largest port that brought in enslaved people during the transatlantic slave trade. And many of the descendants and our uh, many African Americans today are descendants of those people. And so I wanted to write a story that placed these people at the center of a narrative in Charleston or in the low country and give them a happily ever after. Oh, wow. Incredible. By the way, thank you for your service as well. No. I know your, your husband served, but family yeah. serve as well yes as a veteran myself uh i thank you because oh. without your support the guys uh will be will be will not be able to do their job yes that's very true well press lisa um <clears throat> my family's from a little town 54 miles north of charleston mm -hmm. i got relatives in monk's corner oh yeah ridgeland uh -huh. um My brother-in-law and first cousin were Navy chiefs. Oh, wow. Everybody else in the Army. But grand uncle, uncle, cousin were all AME bishops. Oh, so you're AME? I'm Catholic, but they're all AME. Oh, wow. <laughs> you're Catholic, but your family's AME. That's oh, I'm very saying. much. David Chappell. David Chappell McClary. <laughs> so you know how it is. Yeah. So I, Awesome. The Catholic schools, so that's what happened. Yeah, we have similar backgrounds then. AME Catholic together in a family, Filipino, African American. Columbia, you know. Columbia, we got a lot in common. <laughs> small world, huh? Small it world. is, it is. Now, you also wrote Heart. Yeah, Healing and Heart. Yes, it begins with a tragedy, but ends with a different definition of beauty <laughs> after this tragic burning. Mm hmm. So how did you decide on this concept? How did I decide on this concept? This was interesting because this, this story isn't like a, the traditional type of romance novel. And um, I started off this story with the character Hannah. And I originally had her be, I believe I had her originally as a photographer. But then I changed it. I, I had her as a photographer who was afraid to be in front of the camera. But that was like an early idea, which I never did anything with. So then I decided to make her into a model who has to transform and redefine her definition of beauty and find her identity after she loses her skin in a fire with these second degree burns. Um, and for me, how did I decide this concept? 
The themes in that story are um, transformation. Um, again, the same themes that are similar in A Low Country Bride, but they just hold differently. Themes of identity and finding your place in the world. Those themes are also in A Low Country Bride, like I said, but they're different. They're told different. And so at the time that I was writing this story, I was going through like a really tough time of trying to figure out where do I fit in the publishing world, um, especially being an author of color um, in, in, a, in a publishing world that it isn't traditionally open to, to stories written by um, black and brown voices. I was trying to figure out, do I want to write to market? Do I want to write to the 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 um, mainstream white reader? Do I want to write the stories of my heart? Well, in order for me to write, I decided I wanted to write the stories of my heart. I wanted to write stories that honored my heritage and my ancestry. And so, in order for me to do that, I had to go through my own sense of transformation. Oh wow! So I had to, you know, learn. I I started learning a lot about um, Black history, Filipino history. I started reading lots of books on uh, race and critical race theory and listening to the different conversations around these you know, hot button topics or what people think are hot button topics. And I was going through my own transformation at the time. So, so seeing Hannah in this book, going back to the novel, when she loses her skin, it's like a metaphor for her losing her old self. So she was living in a world where everyone was judging, um, accepted her based on her looks and how she appeared physically because she was beautiful. So when you take all of that away and you don't have that as your form of income or your form of occupation, who are you in this world? And so I had to take off my own masks and my own surface identities. And then I had to figure out who I am in this world after that. And so my journey is reflected a lot in, in Hannah's journey in that book where I had to take off the false facades and really come into my own as a, as a person, as a black person, as a Filipino person. And that's when my writing became richer after that. So that's, I don't know, that was too much for you. No, it was fantastic. That's amazing. I was like, wow. Cause my question to you was in which you answer it actually, but it was good. I was going to ask you that like, okay, so, How do you write a book? Uh, it's just a topic came up and all of a sudden you start writing and then you kind of modify until you feel or, but you just broke it down to the simplest level. What I thought it was amazing though. Yeah. Whenever I write a story, it's always, I always write a story about a question that I can't answer for myself. Like I'm having a tough time with this question. And so then I go into writing a story in order to find the answer to the question. So I put, I create, like I said, I create these fictional worlds with these fictional people. And then I put that question, I pose that question in there. And then I let the characters duke it out and try to find their answer to it. Wow. So at least we know why Derek is in the Navy now, was in the Navy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm, I'm expecting a positive ending to a low country bride. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But there's going to be a lot of twists and turns, I can expect. Yeah, But I don't know how you're going to get Maya and Jamila together. That's <laughs> so I got to finish reading this. It's um, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, <clears throat> but let's turn to television. Mm 
This is us. Oh, I love this show. Oh, first season. I mean, come on. It was groundbreaking. And, you know, I'm sure Alex and I liked Homeland, but this is us especially. So what were your roles? Um, so in This Is Us, I was on one episode of This Is Us. Mm-hmm. That was, I believe, in 2017 yeah. when young Randall, it was the episode where young Randall um, was looking into what colleges he wanted to go to. And I believe his father wanted him to go to Harvard or something like that. And then he said he wanted to go to a historically black university. So there were scenes in that in that film or in that episode where young Randall and his father are visiting Howard University in DC. And so I was a college student in that episode at the, on the black campus. <laughs> what about yeah. Homeland? In Homeland, I played a nurse in one episode. So I can't even remember what episode it was. I think because it, it was also like three years ago, but I played a nurse in that one. Well, it's it gotta be nice to have all this uh, under your belly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How how do you seek those movie role, uh, movie and TV role? How do they get to you through? Um, well, when I was younger, when I was more aggressive about pursuing my acting, I had a talent agent who would okay give me like send me out on auditions and calls. But right now, I'm also in the Screen Actors Guild Union, and they also send me casting notices directly. And so I always get these casting notices in my email and then I read them. And I, if I think that I'm a good fit, then I will self-submit for those. And so that's how I get the, the casting calls and things right now. But if I ever wanted to like ramp up the, the acting, I would probably go and seriously look for a talent agent. Oh, wow. <laughs> you would think that so you can self-submit an audition and, and they will take a look at it? People. Mm-hmm. Huh? Yeah, so for, so for mine, I get them through the union. So, like, okay. I'm a union actor. So, but you can also submit to these yourself, um, even if you're not in the union. Now, the, the downside of that is that your pay will be lower and they weren't going to be, they don't have to stick to like the hourly day rate, the hour, the times that you work. They can like work you for long periods of time if they wanted to. Um, So that's the downside of that. But yes, you can still self-submit even as a non-union actor. Oh, wow. Didn't know that. Well, you know, two of our earlier guests, the Nepales for Filipino husband and wife are um, the vice president and secretary of the Golden Globes. Globes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. They're, they were pretty good. It was pretty interesting, you know, to uh, to talk to them mm-hmm. um, and learn about them as they try to diversify, you know. <laughs> That's the thing. <clears throat> But what are your current TV projects, Preslesa? Right now, I'm not doing any TV projects right now at the present moment. I'm focusing more on my writing. But I have been auditioning for TV projects. So if I get something, I'll probably put it on social media or my website or something. Please do. We've got a million TV channels and nothing to watch. Okay. <laughs> You're not going to say which ones at least you, you audition for? No, no. I only talk <laughs> if I book something. Uh, that's cool. Well, what advice do you have for people seeking to become actors or authors of actors? Uh, um, it's a very tough business, both sides, entertainment and publishing. They're very hard. 
Um, I wouldn't get into either industry because you think you'll be rich and famous quickly because it just doesn't work that way for the majority of actors and writers in both industries. I would become an actor and or a writer because you love it, because that's something that you would do for free if you had to, um, because you just love it so much. Um, and so, yeah, I would, if, if you love it, if you have a passion for it, if it's something that's a passion of yours that then go with, go for it with all your heart and don't stop because there's going to be lots of disappointments and heartaches along the way. Um, but keep working on your craft, honing your art, never rest on your laurels, no matter how successful you think you are, because you can always atrophy in your craft, either as an actor or as a writer. And keep going, network, build your brand, get your name out there, audition or submit your work manuscripts to editors and agents and keep improving. And one day you may get something. We, we're going to, I'm going to tell all the Filipino American community about you, Press Lisa. Seriously, we've had um, one of our guests, uh, Rocio, um, her daughter's husband was both Booker T. Washington, W.E.B., her grandfather, both Booker T. Washington, W.E.B. Du Bois executive secretary. Wow. Yeah. We had another one, Kisa, who is in charge of the Filipino food movement, but she's won Emmys. Kisa hmm. Campos. You know, it's, uh, it's really a, a rich and diverse uh, community. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we will do do our best because uh, I think there there's so many uh, that would love your reading, read your your books. And um, I was uh, behind a guy named Edward P. Jones in school. And oh, I heard took, of that name. Yeah, he's a good friend of mine. It took him till he was fifty to write a book. Wow. But, you know, life's been good since he was 50. (laughs) You know, it'll be this. It's the same for you. And you're much younger. Yeah. (laughs) Much, much younger. It's it's uh, just been fantastic for us to have you. Uh, We really, really appreciate the fact that you answered our message. So now it's incumbent upon us to get your name out. Please. Absolutely. Yes. And please, we're about to close, so please, if you want to say anything to our audience, it's your turn to say something. All right. So thank you so much for having me, Harry and Alex. I truly enjoyed this. Um, A Low Country Bride releases on June 1st, 2021. You can buy it from any major retailer or your local independent bookstore. And you can also visit my website at www.presslaysa.com. P-R-E-S-L-A-Y-S-A dot com. Thank you. And where did the name Preslesa come from? It's a combination of my parents' names. My mother's name is Presenta Sean, and my father's name is Sanders. so they put it in together. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Alex, take us out. Well, this was the Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning into the Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. Be sure to join Chief Alex Morales and Ambassador Harry Thomas again on the Voice America Variety Channel.